Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidil mursalin. Ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kefiran ila yevmiddin amma ba'd. Kala Allahu tebaraka ve teala fil Qur'anil Mecidi vel Furkanil Hamid. Ve entumul a'lavuna in kuntum mu'minin. Sadakallahul azim. Elhamdülillah. We are believers. And... This is something we all share, the fact that you're sitting in the masjid today. The Prophet ﷺ said that if you see someone coming to the masjid often, then bear witness that he is a believer. Give shahada that he's a believer. Otherwise, it's not easy to keep coming into the masjid. I know in Ramadan it becomes a bit easier, but generally for a person who comes often to the masjid, he must be a believer. We are all believers, we all have iman, we're all mu'min, mu'minun, mu'minin. That's the, that's the word. But what does it mean to be mu'min? What are the demands of iman? If we have iman, what should it do to us? What should it do for us? So if you look at the books of hadith, one of the first chapters in many books, like in Sahih Muslim, the first chapter is Kitabul Iman. After his introduction is Kitabul Iman, the book of Iman. That's a very long chapter. It takes a very long time to go through all of those hadith in there but he explains every aspect of iman how you define iman what iman consists of what iman should make you do what it should prevent you from doing he talks about what nullifies iman what strengthens iman what weakens iman and so on and so forth we don't have time for that right now and the issue of the taqdeer that you speak about it's a bit of a heavy subject, that's why I thought in the less time we have, I, uh, but I will tell you if you go to the website zamzamacademy.com, the whole one hour 15 minutes topic is there. It's called Don't Be Depressed, You Don't Know Your Future. So it literally speaks about taqdeer, inshallah, in a very satisfying way. Right? And that will, inshallah, hopefully answer all of your questions. If you don't, then email me. So that's, that one is done. Uh, don't be depressed, you don't know your future. Right? That's what it's called on zamzamacademy.com. So, now what we want to do today is we want to understand that we as believers, mu'minun, what is the demand that we have? I'm just going to pick a few hadith and this will give us an understanding and inshallah a refresher. It will also make us understand our strong points and maybe our weak points so that we can improve them because Ramadan is a time when we want to gain taqwa and get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the first hadith is an amazing hadith because this is the same hadith that I used once when I was in an interfaith program. So we were having an interfaith program and uh, what happened is they said, okay, now uh, maybe one or two Christians, one or two Jewish people, one or two Muslims get together uh, and make small groups and then exchange some points from your faith. So we got together and uh, the, the Christian person who was there, she shared something and there was a Jewish person and when it came to Islam I shared the following hadith which is a Sahih narration the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ خَيْرٌ What an amazing and astonishing situation it is for the believer meaning the believer in, is in the most amazing situation he has the most excellent situation because anything, 
anything he goes through, anything that happens to him, it can be good for him. This nobody but a believer has this potential. Only a believer has this excellence. Now, this is so true. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a Muslim. You know, when you are something and there's a good point and you like say, yeah, yeah, this is the true point just because you're biased. This is not being biased at all. The only way you can have a stress-free life is by belief in Allah. That there's somebody to take care of you. That if I'm wronged in this world, I know there's going to be an afterlife. Sometimes I'm walking through these major stations or something and you see all of these people very influential people with their big brief, uh, briefcases and walking, you know. And you think, subhanAllah, if there is a person who is oppressed, he's been cheated, he has no way to get his rights because he's weak. If he did not have belief in God and an afterlife and the day of judgment, can you imagine the depression he would be in? Why would they commit suicide? Because they feel that they've been cheated, there's no, nothing worth living for. But if you have belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is the just, He never oppresses, on the day of judgment, you will get, because our real life is the hereafter. See, as soon as you understand that our real life is the life of the hereafter, this life suddenly becomes a bit less important, less critical. It is still important because the only way we can benefit in the hereafter is by making an effort in this life. There's no doubt about that. There's a hadith that's related from Talha ibn Ubaidillah radiallahu anhu. I'm going to try to bring in everybody's topic in a, bit, a bit at least. Talha ibn Ubaidillah radiallahu anhu, he's one of the Ashara Mubashara. He was one of the most generous Sahaba as well and very wealthy Sahabi as well. He says that there were two people in the community who became Muslim around the same time. They became Muslim, they became Muslim at the same time. So you imagine two people, two recent <coughs> converts. One of them used to just try more. They became Muslim and they used to practice, but one used to just try more. The other one, he used to do his obligations and everything, he was a practicing person. But the other one just used to make even more effort. He also was a warrior in the path of Allah, he used to go in jihad. The person who used to try more, he became a martyr. Now, according for the Sahaba, to be a martyr was one of the highest levels you could get, to be a shaheed. As we know in Islam, to be a shaheed is a very high position. So, the other person, he stayed alive for a whole year afterwards, and then he died by natural means the second, the, one year afterwards. By natural means. So, everybody's thinking that the shaheed must be in a higher place, no doubt, right? Because shaheed has a very high place. Talha ibn Ubaidullah says, one day I'm in a dream. I see, I'm in my dream and I see that I'm by the door of paradise. And I suddenly see both of these individuals, these two, convert, these two recent uh, converts. And we're waiting outside paradise. The doorman of paradise suddenly comes. The, the doorman, the, the, the bouncer, whatever you want to call a paradise, right? And he lets in one of them first. I was surprised that he let in the one who died later. The one who died on his bed, the one who died natural cause. He let him in first because I was expecting the shaheed to go in first. Then he let the, uh, the shaheed in. 
when those two they went in then they saw me they said look you can't come in yet you can't join us yet you've still got your life to finish off then when I woke up in the morning I was just so surprised by this dream that I mentioned it to a few people that you remember those two brothers in our community you know I saw them in my dream and you know the Shaheed he actually went into paradise later and the other one went first so people started talking about this and eventually the news reached the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam so the Prophet Sallallahu said why are you so surprised for didn't he live an extra year yes didn't he have an extra Ramadan he said yes didn't he make extra salawat during that time he said yes so then every extra bit we have in this world is capital it's that much more value if you use it right especially Ramadan so we are in this Ramadan mashallah so for a believer every situation of him is great the Prophet ﷺ carried on saying that if he experiences good times, something good happens. MashaAllah, you have a child, you have a new job, new house, new car. MashaAllah, you spent Ramadan very well. You did some lot of worship, give a lot of sadaqah, whatever. You built a masjid, you established a masjid, alhamdulillah. And you do shukr. That is good for him. That will take you close to Allah. You're enjoying your life. Imagine I'm just enjoying a wonderful meal. I'm enjoying a wonderful meal. That's my pleasure. It's something I'm enjoying. I do shukr, I get reward for it. I, get, I do shukr, I thank Allah, so I get closer to Allah even though I've just enjoyed myself. I just get married. Right? I've been married a long time, but I'm saying somebody just got married. I mean, even if you've been married a long time and you, do, you give shukr for your wife, because I'm speaking to the men, you do shukr for your wife or your children, you're enjoying, you get reward for it. It's good for you. It takes you closer to Allah. Some people get to Allah just by making shukr. On the other hand, if a person has a bad time, some affliction, maybe a leak in the house, car broke down, got a bit, of a, 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 a bit hurt, whatever, feeling hungry in the day, and they do sabr, then that is good for them. Now, our life is generally between these two anyway. You're either going to experience some pleasure and goodness, or you're going to experience some difficulty, setback, calamity. This is what we must do. Because at the end of the day, when the focus is on the next life, it becomes easy. That's why this can only be for the believer. Otherwise, for a non-believer who doesn't believe in Allah, they, why should they be patient for? What is going to drive them? Because they have only this world to live for. So that is... When I mentioned this hadith, those people were amazed. This Christian woman was there. She's like, this is one of the most amazing things that I've ever heard. And these are just one of the statements of the Prophet ﷺ. So, now this is telling us that one aspect of a believer is that they're in control all the time. If they're having good time, they're making shukr. And if they're not having good time, they're making sabr. Generally, sabr is people understand because you're in difficulty, you have to make sabr. But when we're having a good time, when there's no problems, to make shukr is a lot more difficult because we don't remember. We're too indulging, we're too engrossed in our pleasure. So inshallah, if we can also make shukr, just get free rewards, just get closer, it's a vehicle to paradise, inshallah. That's the first thing. So that's what it means to be a mu'min. Now you see the value. Number two, the second hadith I want to mention is we also have some prohibitions as a believer. So the Prophet ﷺ, again using the word Iman, the Prophet ﷺ said, La yazni zani hina yazni wa huwa mu'min. Wa la yashrab al-khamr hina yashrab wa huwa mu'min. 
Three things. A fornicator does not fornicate while he's fornicating while he's a believer. Likewise, the one who drinks does not drink while he's a believer. The one who steals does not steal while he's a believer. Basically, there's many ways the muhaddithin have explained this hadith, but saying that a believer must not do any of these acts. Because as a believer, they can't be stealing, they can't be fornicating, and they cannot be stealing. So what does this hadith mean? That Does it mean that if you fornicate, steal, or drink, that your iman will be lost? We don't necessarily believe that, because our belief is that if you do a major sin, it's a sin, it's not kufr, as long as you believe it's wrong to steal or to drink. Right? As long as we understand that. In one hadith, it mentions that when a believer... Uh, uh, commit zina his iman actually comes out and it's in Sahih Muslim and it's like a cloud above his head what does that mean? one interpretation is that iman says if you're going to commit zina you can't, a mu'min cannot commit zina if you are doing that if you are fornicating I'm out then as soon as they finish as soon as they finish stealing or doing the bad deed the iman comes back in the danger here is that if it's done too many times, then the Iman might want to just stay outside and be lost completely. Because if he keeps throwing something out or pushing something out or discouraging something, then eventually he might say, look, there's no point. And eventually that is where things go. Allah preserve us. But the other meaning, that some ulama have taken another meaning here, that the Iman is, or your Iman is so valuable, that even though you are making a mistake and you're committing a sin, the Iman is coming out and acting as a protection from the punishment of Allah over you. Because when you're committing fornication, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could be punishing you. So the Iman goes out to protect you. One thing about drinking I just want to mention. Fornication, everybody knows is haram. Even though, unfortunately, many people are involved in it because it's so easy nowadays. It's in the... Uh, in the uh, in, uh, the, the, the times of immorality and unchastity and licentiousness that we're living in it is very easy unfortunately and we ask Allah for preservation the person who can uh, on the day that he gets married can think that Alhamdulillah I have not committed zina in my life he should do a lot of shukr to Allah and a person who can just say I've never committed zina even though I am married or whatever because it's just so easy nowadays and the drinking aspect I just want to mention something about that a lot of people think drinking is could be harmless or oh, just one one glass of wine one beer with friends when I've had to have a business meeting they say then sometimes you know I just to fit in one one glass of beer it's not a big big problem happy hour after work just one and I just I wash my mouth out I make toba you know and I don't do this I'm not addicted to it you know how dangerous drinking is according to the ulama they say that there's a few sins I mean everything is a, there's lots of sins but there's a few sins which are so deadly, even though they may not seem so, that they actually prevent you from receiving kalima on your deathbed, even if you're a mu'min. Even if you're a believer, and drinking is one of those. When you're about to die, you may not get the kalima. Because of that's how dangerous it is. That's why this is Ramadan, Allah forgives everything. And Allah writes people to be freed uh, in the nights of Ramadan. May Allah make us one of those. May Allah make us one of those. So, now you can understand a mu'min is also the one who avoids these cardinal sins. Number three, a believer is not just 
a believer is interacting with others because we are social creatures, we're human beings, we deal with one another. So the next hadith about a believer, the Prophet said, La yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba li Again, Iman. None of you can be a proper believer, have proper faith, Iman, until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. If everybody can start doing that, we'd have less jealousy, less enmity, and less negative competition in the world. So if I want something for myself, then I should also have in my mind that I'd like to help somebody else. <coughs> that means I can't be jealous. That means I'm not going to prevent you from also getting something good. I just want it for myself. I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure nobody else finds this deal. There's a deal on right now. I'm not going to tell anybody else. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go and buy it all out, like empty the shelves out. Right? So I'm not going to tell anybody else because it's uh, buy one, get three free today. Right? Um, now what's amazing here is that some of the ulama mention how deep this hadith goes. So some ulama say that this hadith does not just mean that you must like what you like for yourself. You must like for others, so you must like good for them. No. You must, actually, you must actually want that your brother, your sister, if you're talking, you know, actually have better than you. How do you understand that from this hadith? They're saying that this hadith means that you must want better for your friend than yourself. Better for your brother and sister than for yourself. Okay, I can understand they have the same as me. Why better? Because, does anybody understand why? It's in the hadith. Think. I like to interact a bit, wake people up, and so. Anybody have an answer for me? Well, look, if generally speaking, people want to be the best. So if that's what I like for myself, and the Prophet is saying that you can't be a proper believer unless you like for your brother what you like for yourself. And if I like to be the best myself, then I should. That means that I should like my brother to be the best. Amazing, isn't it? In such a short statement, the Prophet ﷺ is saying a lot more than what we just see initially. So if I want to have the best garment, then I should hope that my brother has the best garment. That doesn't mean that I'm going to have a bad garment. He might just have something better, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have a bad one. A lot of people may think that if he's got better, then I'm going to have bad. No, opposite of better is not bad. The opposite of better is good. All right. So can you see now a believer? His personal state, whatever happens to him, is doing shukr sabr. So he's stable. No, not, being, uh, not having too much grief and uh, depression. Right? Number two, not committing sins. That's a believer. Not committing sins. Number three, he is good with every, his conduct, his behavior. His love for his brothers and sisters. Excellent. Can you see the picture which is emerging over the believer? Now we just have to kind of reflect on it for ourselves, not like, oh, that guy's like this or that guy's like this. Like, how much of this am I doing? Where can I improve? All right, number four. Number four and number five, they're related. I'm going to mention two hadith here. Number four is, La yul, the Prophet ﷺ said, La yuldahul mu'min, again mu'min. La yuldahul mu'min min juhrin wahidin marratain. A believer is never bitten from the same hole twice. Now that's not so well known. A believer should never be bitten from the same hole twice. What does that mean? What is it trying to say? Give me an answer, somebody, man. 
Yes, don't make the same mistakes. Don't be cheated from the same place twice. Don't be conned by the same place twice, for example. For example, uh, one of the things that Muslims were quite uh, lost a lot of money in are pyramid schemes. Now, when you've seen one pyramid schemes, then you should know the rest are all the same. That's why they call pyramid schemes because the money just goes to the top. Everybody else is just providing money. They tell you that you go to this website and you just click, 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 click and you'll make money. So in the beginning you make a bit of money, so you put more money in. Right? And then eventually you don't make any money because it all falls. Right? Now, they've kind of stopped right now. Three, four, five years ago they were like two, three and then now they've stopped because everybody knows about them. Then wait, wait for about five years when everybody's forgotten, they'll start another one from Salt Lake City, Utah or somewhere. I don't know where they come from all the time. But be careful of them. Make hard-earned money. Don't try to make these kind of money. Don't be cheated from the same hole twice. And why Muslims are more... I don't know if more Muslims are involved in this, but a lot of Muslims were involved in it. And I think one of the reasons is that the masjid is a nice recruiting ground for that. Right, because it's a nice social place. You meet people so often. You don't meet people just once a week. You meet people like every, especially if you come for salat. Hey, brother, you know this is a really good deal. You know you only have to put two hundred pound in the beginning, and then look, I've made this much money, and so on. A mu'min is never bitten from the same hole twice, right? Yes, there's another hadith which says al mu'minu ghirrun kareemun. Again, al mu'min, the mu'min is one who could be deceived but is honourable. What does that mean? Benevolent. Meaning, the believer is the one who doesn't chase after small, small issues and cause problems for no reason. He looks at the bigger picture. So I'll give you an example. We used to supply books to a, uh, a bookseller. So he was a tough businessman. Maybe a bit of a dirty businessman in a sense. Because as soon as he sees your stuff, he says, Oh, this is inferior products. This is not so good. Oh, I can get them cheaper somewhere else. I mean, I'm the one who's producing the books. I mean, how can you get them cheaper anywhere else? But have you noticed in business, they say this just to diminish the product in your site so that you give a cheaper price. It's a very dirty business. I don't, I don't, that, that's a very bad way. You need to do honest bargaining. Honest bargaining is fine, but you can't cheat, you can't lie. And you can't give false guarantees and promises. You know, when you go to some countries, 100% guarantee. Anything happens, you bring it back, 100% money returned. Right? And they don't really give it back to you if you go there. Right? It's just, and then they, in Muslim country they swear an oath. And that's why the Prophet actually prevented this, pro prohibited this. That you don't swear wrong oaths just to sell your product. So, uh, another friend of mine, he also had supplied the person with some books. And he purchased the books, but then to get money from him was very difficult. So then one day, after maybe several months, I asked my friend, I said, have you got your money from him? He says, you know what, I've given up. It's not worth it. It's not worth it because in the time it takes to call the person and try to get the money, I'd rather do some dhikr, I'll probably get more. Right? So here, this is a mu'min speaking. That look, it's a waste of time. Or you small argument with somebody, you don't do that. Small arguments, you just leave it. So they're benevolent and honorable. That's why they're letting it go. So letting it go, letting something go is not being deceived. Because you know what the situation is. But to be cheated and walked over, and deceived, this is not a believer as well. A believer should not be gullible. A, gu a believer is innocent, but he's not gullible. And he should not be deceived. A believer should be intelligent. So now it, the, it's talking about... Can you see how the Prophet ﷺ defined belief for us in every aspect? 
Okay, the next one is a hadith that uh, is not well known. It's, it's related by Imam Ahmad and a number of others. This is very interesting. Again, this relates to behavior. The Prophet wasallam said, uh, Abdullah ibn Amr radiallahu anhu is relating the Prophet وسلم, said, By the one in whose hand is my soul. He's giving the example of a believer here. What is a mu'min like? What is an example and a parable of a mu'min? Is like a bee. A mu'min is like a bee. We generally understand bees to be these buzzing little insects flying around and maybe you have to be careful they don't sting you. Right? But he's, the Prophet is saying a believer is like a bee. Now remember it's wasps which are worse than bees. You have to remember that wasps are more deadly than bees. Bees have a good function. Right? They provide a, a very noticeable function. I mean, what's every, every creature of Allah has a function in the world. Right? Um, but he explains. He says the particular aspect of the bee that the believer should be like is that akala tayyiban wa wada'at tayyiban wa waqa'at falam taksir wa lam dufsid. The bee, if you look at the way it functions and it produces its honey, says that the bee, it goes and it only seeks out the most pure nectar. So, it consumes only the purest. You don't see bees hovering around filth. You see flies. But you don't see bees there, do you? Bees you'll only see by flowers. The pollen and the nectar, that's what they go for. And then it produces the most excellent products. So what it takes in is pure and what it gives out is pure. Can you see now the parable what a good believer is supposed to be? They need to consume and take, acquire and receive only the pure and whatever they produce, whatever they say, whatever they do, whatever they give, whatever interaction they have should be pure. And then the Prophet explained, the bee goes and settles. If you've ever seen a bee the way it if you've ever seen a, feed, a bee, the way it goes and settles onto a flower, it actually does not sit on the flower. It doesn't settle. It hovers around it and it takes. That's why he's saying, falam taksir. The bee does not damage any of the very delicate strands of that flower. The center of life, you see it's very delicate, the bee will just hover around it. Go and check it out next time. Don't get too close, right? Check it out next time, you'll see it just hovers around and takes its pollen. It's amazing how Allah has fine-tuned it like that. وَلَمْ تُفْسِدْ And it does not cause destruction. Hence, a believer should not be doing that earlier. A believer should be excellent in every sense. Not like a fly that goes and finds filth to sit on. So a believer should not be one who goes. It's like the other example is that the nightingale, when it goes into an orchard, a garden, it will look for the best of the flowers. It will sit there and it will sing. And a pig, if you let that loose in a garden, it will go and try to find the dirtiest area and go and eat at the muck. So let us not be like the second creature, that we're, every time we want to speak bad about somebody, always indulge in the, the, uh, in the facade of somebody. But let's talk about the good. That's a believer. And the final hadith that I want to mention is Al-Haya'u Shu'batun Min Al-Iman. The Prophet said, Haya and chastity, modesty, bashfulness is part of Iman. So chastity which should prevent us from doing sins. Can you see now how the Prophet ﷺ talks about a believer in his state, in his interaction, avoidance of sins, 
in his business, in his dealings, in his life. This is what a believer, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us like this. Now Iman, what we have to understand about Iman is that the more that the, the rule is that the more a person understands the value of their Iman, the more they will protect it, the more they will value it. The less they understand their value, the less they'll be concerned about it. So I'll give you an example. A major scholar of hadith and a great wali of Allah from Imam Abu Hanifa's time, his name is Sufyan al-Thawri, rahmatullahi alayhi, big muhaddith. One day he was seen crying. He said, Shaykh, why are you crying for? So he picked up a piece of, he picked up a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat is actually smaller than a pea, right? And he said, I have not disobeyed Allah even this much. So then why are you crying for? He said, because while I have not disobeyed Allah even this much, I don't know whether this gift, of, this gift will stay until I die. Now think about it. The only reason he's crying, even though he's not done anything wrong, the reason he's crying is because he thinks I might do something wrong. I may lose this beauty of my faith. We have done maybe so much wrong and we don't even cry. We find it difficult to cry in our du'as. Why can he cry? Is because he sees the value of it. He doesn't want to lose it. We ask Allah to give us the same value. And the final story I want to mention is a classic story. Everybody's heard of Harun al-Rashid, the great Abbas al-Khalif, one of the biggest. He, had, he, he ruled from Baghdad, he ruled uh, you know, numerous areas. One day, him and his wife, what's his wife's name? You're probably going to say Zuleikha, right? right? Zubayda, there you go. Right? So his wife's name is Zubayda. She was an amazing woman. She, she did so much work during her time that uh, there's a Zubayda canal, which is just outside of Makkah, that the Hujjaj in that time used to find it very difficult to get water. She built a canal, an aqueduct system to supply the Hujjaj, and that part of that is still there. Right? She did a lot of other stuff. But anyway, they're both walking on the seashore. Sand. And there was a guy in their time who was a bit uh, of an interesting person, to say the least. He said some very wise things, but he used to act very different from others. Eccentric, majhub in a sense. His name was Bahlul. So, as they're walking through, they see this grown man, Bahlul, making sandcastles. Or palaces, houses out of sand. Sandcastles. You guys make sandcastles? Right? So, Harun Rashid asked him, what are you doing? Right? Imagine you see an adult person making sandcastles. What are you going to think? So Harun Rashid said, what are you doing? He says, I am making palaces of Jannah. And I'm selling them for one dinar each. Just one gold piece each I'm selling them for. Harun Rashid is probably a businessman. He's like, man, who's going to buy a castle of yours <laughs> you know, for one dinar? Who's going to pay that? So he carries on. He walks away. Zubaydah comes along and she asks him the same question. He says, I'm selling it for a dinar. Right, a dinar is a gold piece, right? So he says, okay, I'll buy one. So she bought one, she gave it to him. Maybe Sadaqa, she thought, whatever she thought. You know, because you know, you see these poor people, they're trying to sell something. You know, you go to third world countries, they help you park a bit, they just go like this, and then they ask you for money, right? So you should give them money because at least they've got an excuse of a job. There's others who just stand and beg. At least these guys are trying to help, right? So she gave him a dinar, bought the castle, and then walked away. I mean, she didn't take it home, she just bought the castle and walked home. Now, Harun Rashid goes to sleep at night and he sees a dream. Right. And in his dream, he is in Jannah, 
and he comes upon this major palace major major palace and it says Zubaydah on there that it's her palace so he says can I go in and check because he's the king I mean he's the Sultan he can go in wherever he thinks he says no you can't come in this is Zubaydah this is your wife's you can't come in there when he wakes in the morning he feels very very bad right and he realizes what this is trying to tell him so the next day he goes out and he's hoping that Bahlul is making sandcastles <laughs> and sure enough as he gets there Bahlul is making sandcastles he says what are you doing he says I'm making these castles for Jannah these, uh, these palaces of Jannah right he says I want to buy one today he says yes today the price is at your kingdom so he says yesterday was one dinar and today is the kingdom What's, wh wh why did the price suddenly go up and this is what Bahlul says he says yesterday it was based on the unseen it was Iman Bil Ghaib. Today it's Iman Bil Yaqeen. That's the difference. Now, while this story could be whatever it could be, whether it's true or not, Allah knows best, Harun Rashid, that's his story, classic story. But at the end of the day, the point and wisdom he underscores is the secret of our faith is Alladina Yu'minuna Bil Ghaib, as Allah tells us right in the beginning. A lot of things that we just spoke about today are unseen. And some people are saying, you really believe, it's the same as believing in unicorns. Like, you want to believe in a unicorn? Fine, believe in a unicorn. I don't have to believe in one. But no, there's a lot more to that because we feel our faith. There's experience. It makes us feel better in this world. It gives us something to live for. It allows us to not be depressed. It allows us to be stress-free because we understand that Allah is going to look after us, especially in the hereafter. So, this is our Iman Bil Ghaib. This is the month of Ramadan. Let us ponder, and these are just a few of the narrations that define who a believer is. We may be very strong in one aspect, but in another aspect we may be weak. We ask Allah to improve us and enhance us and complete us and make us complete believers so that all the ahadith, inshallah, relate to us. Make a quick dua. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakti adal jalali wal ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. Allahumma ya hannanu ya mannan. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimin. Jazallahu anna muhammadan ma huwa ahlu. Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, we ask you for your blessings. Oh Allah, this is the month of your blessings. This is the month of your mercy. Oh Allah, this is the month of generosity. Oh Allah, look how much people are spending in the path. Oh Allah, look how much people are feeding during this month. Oh Allah, look at the generosity people are expressing during this month. Oh Allah, your messenger sallallahu alayhi wa used to be the most generous during this month when he would be reading the Quran with Jibreel alayhi salam. Oh Allah, this shows that you are more generous than all. Oh Allah, this is a very generous time for you. Oh Allah, you have closed the doors of hellfire and opened up the doors of paradise. You've locked up the shayateen. Oh Allah, we now ask you that you forgive us all of our sins, that you purify all of our deeds. Oh Allah, that you cleanse our hearts. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from those sins we've committed knowingly or unknowingly. Those we've forgotten, those which are old and those we've never made tawbah from. Oh Allah, but especially those which have now become part of our life and we no longer even consider them sins anymore. 
Oh Allah, grant us the required knowledge and understanding and discernment. Oh Allah, allow us to be closer to you. Oh Allah, make your obedience beloved to our hearts. Oh Allah, make your disobedience hated in our hearts. Oh Allah, we ask that you write us in this month of Ramadan to be freed from the hellfire. Oh Allah, make us closer to you this Ramadan than we've ever been. Oh Allah, we've done many Ramadans before, but oh Allah, make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. But oh Allah, above all, we ask that you keep us close to you even after Ramadan. Oh Allah, do not allow us to go back to how we were before Ramadan answer Ramadan finishes. Oh Allah, protect us for the 11 months afterwards as well from the Shaitan. Oh Allah, we are tired of fighting against the Shaitan. Oh Allah, we've seen in this world that when people, when children can no longer look after something, they give it to somebody else, they give it to their parents to look after. Oh Allah, we're tired of fighting against the Shaitan. Oh Allah, we need to protect our Iman, which is the most valuable thing we have. Oh Allah, we ask that you look after our Iman for us. Oh Allah, you preserve Iman for us. Oh Allah, help our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing subjugation and persecution. Oh Allah, remove their oppression and subjugation from them. Oh Allah, remove the problems and bring back insania to the insan. Oh Allah, bless all of those who've established these masajid and marakis and institutes for us. Oh Allah, protect them from all of the problems that they could face. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept from all of us and grant us sincerity. And we ask that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbina izzati amma yasifun wa salamun alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah.